in series today that's called Breaking Free. And what we've been doing is recognizing that while Easter was a day that we celebrate, we celebrate a season of Easter. In fact, it's a new reality uh, that Jesus has risen from the dead. And therefore, uh, we also, through his power, break free through sin and death and all that would prevent us from leading the life that he called us to live through faith in Christ. And so what we're doing is taking a look at the book of Acts as the people of the early church broke through and broke free uh, in resurrection and spiritual power through various circumstances that they faced. And today we're going to talk about breaking through the impossible, and I'll invite you to join me in Acts chapter 9. Now I'm going to give you a little task as we read to listen not only uh, to the scripture for the Spirit's working, I want you to pay attention to the actions that Peter takes. I want you to pay attention. So I'm going to ask you to join me in Acts chapter 9. We'll be reading verses 36 through 43. Hear the word of the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. And she was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. These are two towns or cities. And so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows stood around him, all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. We've heard of Joppa before. In the Bible, if you remember, Joppa is, interestingly enough, the city that uh, we read about in the book of Jonah. Do you remember Jonah before he got, you know, swallowed by the whale? Don't confuse that with Pinocchio. Jonah was a real boy. But when God called Jonah and he didn't want to go to Nineveh, he fled to Joppa to catch a boat to roll off somewhere else. But that's not why we're in Joppa today. We're in Joppa today to meet a woman who dies before we ever get a chance to know her. Her name is Dorcas. And if you have an upcoming baby in your family or maybe a new pet, I commend to you the name Dorcas. I would be glad uh, to celebrate that with you. Dorcas is her name. Y'all not laughing because some of you are like, yes, that's a great idea. There's going to be a whole slew of new cats named Dorcas in Glenville. Um, That's her name in Greek, at least, as one of the languages spoke at the time. But her name is also Tabitha in the Hebrew or Aramaic uh, tongue, which is another common language they spoke, Tabitha. 
And all we know about Tabitha when the story opens are really just three things. That she was a disciple, a Christ follower. That she had a reputation for always doing good and helping the poor. And that she's dead. Well, we don't get much of a chance. But from here is where the story actually takes off. So folks summon Peter. He's in a nearby town, just a a little bit away. And Peter enters that upper room where her body lies. He prays. And before you know it, Peter struts downstairs with a living, breathing Tabitha. There he goes. Just like that, Peter's a hero in Joppa. He's done the impossible. Peter has raised the dead, and he's famous for it, or really the Lord's famous for it. Now, if you're wondering what Peter might have been thinking through that incident, or or if if you wonder what he was feeling throughout this part of the the Bible, you're really out of luck. Because if you take a close look at it, the only people that express emotion are maybe the men who rush over to get him and the widows who are grieving. Peter's like a stone-cold hero. All you get is his pure action, and, and it all happens in the course of just a couple of sentences. It's told, like, um, it's told like one of those news stories after somebody out there has done some heroic, miraculous act, uh, and it just reports on the cold, hard facts. Peter, with his power and might, girded up his loins, walked upstairs, and brought that woman back to life. Just like that. That's what it looks like, at least, from an outsider's perspective. If you were one of the people downstairs waiting, that's exactly what it would look like, wouldn't it? We don't know much about Peter's perspective. We know from the onlooker's perspective. We know it looks like all action, no thoughts. And I get that. I mean, have you ever noticed uh, when we hear these stories about impossible things that happen, people overcome great odds, or, or there's some great story in the news, if you ever get a good story in the news, but that's a different uh, talk here. But it's victory in minutes. It's the triumphant hero is all valor, no second guessing. They always know exactly what they do. All action, no inner struggle happens so fast. But I think about some of the tough situations in my life. I cannot imagine, and some of the things that I have walked through and some of the things that I'm I'm facing even now, I can't imagine simply strutting in and fixing it like that. I think they're more complicated than that. They really are. And there are some things that it just seems like are never going to get fixed. I second-guess myself. I rarely know exactly what to do. And maybe this is just me, but I can honestly sit for weeks before I even get up the courage to face the fact that there's a problem. Peter, like that. Sometimes I read stories like this and I think, well, goody for him. Oh, great. Good. You're one of those. Good. You probably probably a teacher's pet, got all the A's in class. Everything came easy to you, Peter. Great. I'm glad you did that. Here I am. Or whoever you are in the news or whoever hero you are, I wish it were that easy for me. But sometimes those stories can leave us feeling a little bit like that. Because life is filled with difficult challenges and insurmountable odds. I'm sorry if that's news to you. And here's the deal. If we could just walk up and fix it, don't you think we'd have done that already? (laughs) Have you tried uh, fixing it? Yes. Have you unplugged it and plugged it back in? Whatever. It's like, have you ever seen, there's a Bob Hope sketch that I love. Y'all ever watch Bob Hope? Anybody? Okay. So he's playing a psychiatrist um, and a woman walks in as a patient to see him. And and he looks just all professional and, and, and warm. 
And he says, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Tell me your problem. She goes to tell him the problem. And he says, oh, my friend, I have two words for you. They're guaranteed to help you with whatever you're going through. And he looked at her and he said, stop it. And she said, stop it. I can't, I, let me, I, but it's not that easy. And, and over and over he goes, stop it. Just stop it. I said, stop it. Listen, if it were that easy, don't you think we would have stopped it by now? If it were that easy, don't you think we would have fixed it by now? There are things that happen that are just that hard. And sometimes I read the story like this in the Bible and I think, that's great. But almost I wonder if it discourages me a little. Because I can't do what Peter did. And there are things that we deal with that, that leave us feel powerless. I don't know that I could walk into any room, anywhere, even my own room and say, ha ha, I've got it covered. You know, some of us are dealing with some of these things right now. You might, you might be one of those that look as cool as a cucumber. You have got it going on on the outside, but inside you are a mess. And you don't know how to fix it. You, you might have hit a ceiling somewhere. You've got these hopes and dreams, but something happened, and you've had to put those hopes and dreams on the back burner. You keep looking back there, but you don't think you're ever going to be able to get to it again. Because you have so much piled up responsibility, it doesn't seem like you've got any free space to pick it up. Maybe you've run up against some impossible odds in a relationship that you've got. and Maybe it's in your marriage or another friendship or family member and you desperately want to make things right. Man, if you could just fix it, you would. But you don't know how. These things are hard. And the stories of people who break through impossible situations... They always seem to be just heroics, no doubt, just action, fixed in a jiffy, and that's fine for them. But it doesn't seem to work that way for everybody. You know, there's one story like that that actually is, um, this is the 10th anniversary of a pretty, pretty amazing story that has actually changed my mind on that and gave me a great, gave the whole world a glimpse into the moments that we usually miss in a heroic story. This year marks the 10th anniversary uh, of the miracle on the Hudson. You all remember this? It was January 15th, 10 years ago this year. I, I remember when it happened, and then I didn't think twice about it for many reasons I'll tell you about. And then it, it came right back to me this year. So this is what happened if you don't remember the miracle on the Hudson. Real quick, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 takes off from LaGuardia Airport in New York. And minutes into their flight, before they ever hit cruising altitude, the plane hit birds. I mean, of all things, birds. A flock of birds hit both engines, but both engines fail, and they can't get them back going at all. And so, in reality, there's no... The plane was going down. There's no two ways about it. The plane was going down. And so the pilot and his mate, the pilot was Captain Sully Sullenberger, had 208 seconds to figure out what to do. And he saw only one way to avoid disaster, one way no one else thought of, and that is to land the plane in the Hudson River. How, how many of you have ever done a belly flop off the side of a pool? You know, water it, it. You can sink down in it, and it'll cover you with its warmth. Unless you hit it with impact, that business will leave a raspberry all over your belly. Could you imagine? This is a plane-sized belly flop right in the Hudson River. But there it goes. The images come across the news almost in real time. This huge uh, airway plane barely skirting over the George Washington Bridge, landing intact in the river, all 154 people alive and rescued. Pretty amazing. 
The governor of New York held a press conference, and he said, we have a heroic pilot who saved himself and 154 other passengers. We've had a miracle on 34th Street, and now we've had a miracle on the Hudson. It was all over the news, everywhere. And of course, because it's happening just like that, what we see is heroic pilot, great decision in an instant, saved everybody's life, effortless, couldn't have gone any other way. He's got it going on. And I think, my goodness, there's another one. You know, that guy, that guy can land a plane in the river and save 154 people. I can't keep my goldfish alive, you know? That guy in 208 seconds can figure out how to save 154 people. I'm thinking, I didn't get laundry done. I've only got one sock. I can't get my clothes on in 208 seconds. And so honestly, honestly, these stories can sometimes uh, make this big divide about, is it possible to break through the impossible or not? So I didn't think about it anymore. I thought, great, I'm glad he's a hero. I'm glad there are heroes in the world. Um, I'm going to go live in my little problems and whatnot. And really, I didn't think about that story again until the 10th anniversary popped up. I didn't even know it was the 10th anniversary, January 15th of this year. I opened up my Twitter feed like I do about once a month. And um, there's Captain Sully Sullenberger. He has decided that he is going to tweet the events. This is short messages for those of you not tweeters. Um, I don't know if you call them tweeters or not. I'm getting to be the point where I'm so not cool I don't know what things are. Uh, That's what happens when you hit your mid-30s. Just watch out. Um, He's going to tweet the events and his recollections to commemorate the 10th anniversary. This is amazing stuff. It's like maybe 20. And there's actual audio recordings of him talking to the tower pictures. But what's most amazing to me is that he lets us inside the moment. We get to see a little bit about his inner thoughts and what was happening there. And I think that's really what changed my outlook on this event. Let me read to you three of his tweets that that really connected me with him in a new way. He said, I have never been so challenged in an airplane for 42 years that I doubted the outcome. But this was very different. And it happened so suddenly it was shocking. He had doubt. It was shocking to him. Next, he says, I still remember my first thoughts. First, this can't be happening. Second, this doesn't happen to me. All my previous flights had been mostly routine, and I had never been so challenged in an airplane that I doubted the outcome until that day. And so there you get a look on the inside. You can think, okay, now now that that I, I understand a little bit better, the inside workings of what happens in the room. And there's one more that was really important to me that I think helps us have a window on this biblical story. Captain Sullenberger said, for 42 years, I've been making small, regular deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training. And on January 15th, the balance was sufficient enough so I could make a very large withdrawal. And so, this whole event looks different from an inside perspective. It's more human, it's more relatable, and you understand that Captain Sully wasn't a superhuman. The hero of the day admits his fear and his doubt in the face of an impossible situation, And he admits that it's not pure heroics or superhuman power or or something that anybody else can't have and strutting confidence that got him through that day. He admits it was my training and my experience that got me through that day. I have a different outlook on this heroic story. And I wonder, what would it look like if Peter took us inside that way? If Peter got on Twitter.com at Peter the disciple and started tweeting the events. I wonder what it would look like if he took us beyond the reporting of amazed onlookers. I wonder if we'd learn that he might have struggled a little bit in the situation that he faced in Tabitha's upper room. 
I wonder if Peter felt a little in over his head. We don't know. But I wonder if he did. Sure, Peter has some healing experience. Just a few verses before, he, had, uh, he was in Lydda, and there was a man there who was paralyzed, and Peter said, Jesus heals you, and the man got up. That's great. But what did Peter do except declare Jesus over him? It's not like he had magic. And, you know, life and death is different than helping somebody get up from paralysis. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's different. You know, I wonder, I wonder if Peter thought, me? What can I do? when these guys come up from, to bring him to Joppa. I think that because the text in the NIV says they urged him. And, and you usually don't have to urge somebody who goes the first time, who doesn't need any convincing, who knows exactly how this is going to go. I wonder what Peter thought when he was met with those grieving widows that Tabitha ministered to. Did he feel that sense of pressure? Is that why he said, all right, everybody get out? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever felt like that? If everybody wasn't watching me, I might be able to get something done. I wonder if that was why he asked them to leave the room. I wonder if we would get an experience like that from Peter's perspective. And so I wonder if that might possibly be the case. How did Peter overcome all that to break through the impossible? How did that happen? If we look closely at Peter's actions in that upper room, we can actually see that Peter and Captain Sully have something in common. That in the face of impossible odds, they both relied on their experience and training. They both relied on their experience and training. Now, Captain Sully had 20,000 hours of flight time, but Peter, his training looked different. He had three years of day-in, day-out experience walking with Jesus. This is his experience And I think that what we can see is that those years inform what Peter does. So let's take a look at what he might have seen Jesus do along the way. So Mark's gospel tells us actually of a very similar story when Jesus was summoned to the house uh, by a family of a dying person. All right, what does Jesus do? He goes. He puts everyone out of the room. He said, uh, this strange phrase, he said, Talitha kum which is a command, and it's in Aramaic, and it means little child get up. Talitha kum, little child get up. And she did as Jesus takes her by the hand. Can you see what Peter does in that room is almost a, a word-for-word echo of what he does? Peter goes when called. He puts everyone out of the room. He says, Tabitha, get up, which sounds a lot like little girl get up, if you ask me. Takes her by the hand and presents her to the family and friends. It's just like Jesus. When Peter comes into that room, what do you do in a situation like that except do what Jesus did? You know, I think about, I think about that as well. I can imagine Peter uh, sitting, you know, he prays and then it says he turns to Tabitha and there she is lying uh, in state, so to speak. And I wonder if Peter remembers that phrase, Talitha kum, when he says, Tabitha, get up. Is it Means little girl get up is what Talitha Kum means. I wonder, we know it as Tabitha get up, but I don't know if you know this or not, but Peter didn't speak English. One of his, I know that's news to some of y'all. Some of y'all just gasped. <gasps> You're kidding me. No, uh, likely he spoke, he spoke in Aramaic. And I wonder, I wonder if when Peter said Tabitha get up, it might have sounded a little something like Tabitha Kum. What do you say in a situation like that? I don't know, but this is what Jesus said. 
And there we find that Peter, relying on his training, is able to let Jesus work through him to the point where the impossible is overcome. And there's one more story I've got a minute to tell you about of his training experience, so to speak, with Jesus. One more story. So you might remember this. It's told in uh, three, maybe all four Gospels, um, where the disciples, a man comes to the disciples, says, hey, I've got a demon somewhere that you need to cast out. And the disciples had done it before. They were pretty good at it, but they couldn't, they couldn't cast out this demon. And here comes Jesus. He shows up and he gets the job done. The disciples said, well, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus' response was, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, get up and move, and it would move. Nothing, Jesus said, will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. There's an, an, one of the other Gospels telling of that story. Jesus says, this kind can only come out through prayer. This kind can only come out through prayer. Do you, I mean, it, it's no wonder that Peter got down on his knees to pray at this moment because that's what Jesus had told him to do. This kind, when faced with the impossible, it only comes out by prayer. Okay, Jesus, here I go to my knees. And I wonder if he remembered in that Nothing will be impossible for you. In the face of the impossible, Peter, I believe, looking directly at the text, I think Peter relies on Jesus' example and lets Jesus' words form him to say that nothing will be impossible for me, not because of me and how great I am or how much confidence I have. Nothing will be impossible for me because I have been trained by the Lord. I have been formed by Jesus. I have been shaped to be the kind of person that Jesus' power can work through. I think Peter can break through the impossible, not because he's the unattainable example of the fearless hero strutting with confidence. I think Peter demonstrates the all-available example of a man who walked with Jesus day after day. He walked with Jesus day after day. Now, I might not be a hero. I might not be able to strut in and fix problems like that, but you know what I can do? I can walk with Jesus day by day. And when I am faced with the doubt of a situation and I don't know how to fix it, I can say to myself, that's okay, you don't need to know how to fix it. You have been formed by Jesus. Put yourself back in the position to allow the power of Jesus to work through you because it's Jesus who does the work anyway. That's why when Peter heals the man up in Lydda, he says, Jesus heals you, not come here. Uh, Make sure you put this on Facebook live stream. I'm going to heal you. It's his training. And it's something that we can all do. Now, we may or may not witness a resurrection in our lives. I'm not going to discount that fact because we believe in in Jesus Christ who raised from the dead. And if we have a little trouble believing that people can be raised from the dead, we need to have other conversations. But we all do face impossible odds. And so how can we break through them? Or really, let's rephrase that. How can we open ourselves to let Jesus break through them? Rely on your training. Rely on your training. In the same way that Peter's time with Jesus formed him and directed him, our time with Jesus through our devotion and our acts of of, uh, faith in Christ can form us. Rely on your training. When we don't know what to do, let it be so much instinct that we know the word of the Lord, we know the actions of the Lord and the activity of the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to come up with it. 
that it is in us. Rely on your training. So one more thought here. Peter's training was pretty rigorous. Three years, day in, day out with Jesus, all the time. Sully Sullenberger had 20,000 hours of flight time over 42 years. So can we get the kind of training that Peter has? Do we have to wait for 20,000 hours? I think to find uh, the, the answer to how we can get the training and experience, I think we can circle this sermon back around to the beginning to a woman named Tabitha. We don't know a lot about her, but what we do know can really, really bless the world. Tabitha gives us the, the guidance we need. So we do know about Tabitha that she cared for the poor. We know that because the Bible says she was always doing good and caring for the poor. Right? Now, poverty is a humongous issue. You really can't wake up one morning and say, today I shall cure poverty and go to bed with anything really accomplished on that front. You know, it's just too big. But just because it's too big doesn't mean that you can't do something. And that's exactly what Tabitha did. Uh, she continued to work with people. Her home is filled with mourners, likely who she helped. The widows who were there who were probably impoverished. And when Peter arrives, do you know what they do? They cry and they weep, but they show him. Here are the robes that Tabitha made me. Here here are the tunics and the cloaks that Tabitha made. Here here are the kinds of things that she does. Here's the clothes. Maybe here's the clothes that, that I have that I didn't have because of Tabitha. So Tabitha may not have been able to cure world poverty, but she had a room full and likely a community full of people who had clothes because of her. She couldn't cure the entire world, but she could stitch by stitch work for the good. Tabitha helped overcome the impossible stitch by stitch. Stitch by stitch. It's like the the guy, there's multiple versions of this story, um, well, maybe it will take the JFK version. He goes over to uh, the space launch, over to Cape Canaveral, and it says, uh, sees a janitor there, and he says, what are you doing? And the janitor says, well, I'm sweeping up real quick. I've got to clock out in a minute. I'm sweeping up. And he goes and sees another janitor uh, sweeping the floor. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm helping putting a man in space. See, it's the difference, stitch by stitch. I'm, 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 I'm helping the poor. I am loving God's children, stitch by stitch. So how can we get the kind of training and the experience that will allow us to be open for God to break through the impossible. How can we get that? Stitch by stitch. Stitch by stitch. The deliberate, small, everyday, continued acts of devotion to Jesus. The small choice we make to say, yes, I will pray instead of not pray. The small choice to say, yes, I will open my Bible, put my heart and my eyes on the page. I will care for the person in front of me. I will seek the person not in front of me to care for. I will show compassion. I will show up. I will offer my praise to God. I will worship the small, everyday, deliberate acts, stitch by stitch, over time create a beautiful tapestry of holy experience that you and I can draw on at all times, especially when we're facing an impossible situation, where do you get the reserve to be able to trust in the Lord? Where does the power of God come from to work through you? Well, we know how to let that happen because we've lived a life of training with the Lord, stitch by stitch. Jesus says, nothing will be impossible for you. 
not because Peter has done some great thing that you can never do. He says, nothing will be impossible for you. And the reason is because nothing's impossible for Jesus. And so I would tell you in the face of the impossible, rely on your training. The deliberate, small acts of devotion to Jesus that can form us into people that allow Christ to work through us because Christ can make break through the impossible. We get there, my friends, stitch by stitch by stitch. I invite you to pray with me. Father, may this time that we have spent with you today be another stitch in the grand quilt of a holy life. Encourage us, O God. Call us by your Spirit to put ourselves in your presence to allow you to form and shape us so that when we come up into the brick wall, into the impossible, that we won't be overcome, but that we can have confidence and trust even when we have no idea what to do, that we can trust in you, God. Call us into great works of daily, continued obedience. And help us, O God, as we face the impossible situations in our lives, to call on you to break through. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory, for it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. As we close today, I'd like to offer you 